Hello and welcome to Clerically Speaking. This is Father Anthony Sharapa. And don't worry, we have a great show for you today, but I just want to give you a heads up. Father Harrison and I were at the Nicholas Center for Ethics and Culture Fall Conference. It was a conference all about friendship. We presented a panel discussion on social media and friendship. And uh, the thing is, we had a chance to record with some people down there. We recorded a interview with Sister Teresa Alethea, and you guys will be hearing that next week. Uh, this week, we did a whole show with JVL. You may know JVL from the very good podcast, The Sub Beacon. It's a podcast about movies and culture and dudes chatting and that kind of thing. But JVL is a Catholic. His wife was with us on the conference. You may remember Shannon Lass from an episode she did with Harrison a few weeks back. So yeah, we just jumped right into uh, talking with JVL. So I wanted to give you a heads up of like who he is, why we're doing what we're doing. And so without any further ado, here is Clerically Speaking. So Father Harrison, we're pretty good friends, right? We're very good friends, I think. We're pretty comfortable with each other. Right? Absolutely. Early on this trip to Notre Dame, I experienced a moment of, of terror and panic in your presence. Oh? Because if you remember that first morning when we were driving from the great Jeff uh, Pogjanowski's... How do you say his last name again? Pogjanowski. Pojo. Pojo. Driving back from his house, it had iced over a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. So I had to de-ice the front windshield of my car. And as I went and grabbed it and started de-icing, I was incredibly intimidated. Because you were from Canada. I was like, am I doing this the right way? Is my technique okay? Am I taking too long? Am I taking too short? I was very scared. So how did I do? Do you remember? See, I don't know because I don't get frosting on my windshield. Frosting? Whatever. Icing over whatever you want to you call really, it. See, this is the thing. is like, So we walk around Notre Dame's campus, and it's actually very cold outside. Yes. And I see you there just shivering away. Yeah. You poor soul. It's actually making either the elaborate ruse that not all of Canada is a frozen tundra, you're really keeping it up, and you're really self-conscious about it, which I respect, or maybe Victoria isn't that cold. Either way, I'm very on edge Victoria about this. is actually not that cold. It, like today, it's what, 49 degrees, something like that? This would be Victoria weather at this time of year. Amazing. Astounding. Do what else is astounding? Please, please enlighten us. We have a guest. We are honored, humbled. Uh, we are in awe in the presence of Jonathan Last, JVL. Welcome to the show. Hey, fellas. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> this, is the, this is the first for all of us. Well, no, no, no. Wait, sorry. This is the first for me. To be on a podcast with the great JVL? <laughs> exactly. This is old hat for me. <laughs> like, this is... Me and JVL, we go way back in the recording, you know, we've... Uh... <laughs> But hey, exciting for you. Yeah, this is it's so nice to have this opportunity to record with my friend Jonathan even even though you know, I just I wanted the the truth is with my other show, I just wasn't comfortable yet that everything was perfect and I wanted to just run some beta testing with right. some some people who who don't really mean anything to me. Okay. Like Father Anthony, yes. but when I bring my real friends in, everything'll be perfect. So that's how it was. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. You like that? I like that. I like yeah. that. So uh, for those who don't know, so Jonathan runs uh, the the very popular, he's one of the three of the very popular Sub Beacon. How long you guys been doing that for now? Sorry. I'm <laughs> everything, my Diet Coke. Everything's um, content. Everything is content. I don't know. How long have we been doing it? Two years? Two and a half years? Two and a half years. Something like that? A I think. Time. I think. Yeah. A long time. Yeah. It's It's my favorite podcast. It's the best podcast. It is the Just best podcast. Ab- so. Absolutely. And uh, it, it's not because of anything I do. It's all because of Vic Mattis. Vic so. is the glue. He is. He really is the glue. Um, but where you're not doing that, you've started a little hobby podcast as well. Do you want? I to have a hobby podcast, yeah. but I don't want to tell anybody about it. Okay. Because that's the whole point. The whole point for me about it is that it uh, stays secret and has a very, very small listenership that right. essentially is no more than like my friends. Right. Because if it were to become popular, then it would become a job. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> it's very much podcasting is very much the garage band of our age. Like everyone has a garage band. And like hearing you say that's like, if we ever got big, I would just quit, man. I don't want to sell out, man. Music. Yeah, it's, it's all about the music, man. I'm not here for the merch. Yeah. I'm just here for the... So, I just want to rock. <laughs> exactly. So, 
so uh, I, I uh, so when I was flying here, I, I stopped over at, at Chicago O'Hare. Had two experiences. The first, what? Do you want to put like a little disclaimer because you want you really want to ask JBL something? Uh huh. But I feel like we should put a little PSA beforehand because not everyone's gonna be interested in that content. That's fair. Okay, okay. just throwing it out there. Well, the first bit will be fine. I'll just okay. it'll just be more. Just this what happened. I had a guy come up to me. And I was just sitting there at my gate waiting, eating my chicken sandwich. Guy comes up. He goes, "Are you are you a priest?" I'm like, "Yeah, goes, yeah, oh. I am." Yeah, like <laughs> step off. <laughs> And he's like, so can I just talk to you about the truth of the Bible? I'm like, uh, sure. <laughs> and he was, you could just tell he was, he was like just excited to, to probably try to debunk Catholicism. When, when these evangelicals, they get real excited yeah. when they find a priest because yeah. they're going to, they're going to the save the game. soul of a priest. This is a big game. This right? is, this would happen occasionally on campus at Duquesne. We had some evangelicals and when they would find out I was a seminarian, they would lose their minds. Yeah. It's like, I'm going to get a big one. Yeah. Oh, so this is coming at you from the Protestant side, not from the atheist side. That's right. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, he's coming. He's like, he's like going after things like, um, how do we know who has, you know, every man is fallible. And there's a truth there, right? There is a truth there. But it was, I, I don't want to get into the whole discussion, but it was just, it was very intriguing because this would never happen in Canada. No one would approach me. In fact, my, or if they do, they'll say, what's that white thing around your neck? <laughs> what is that for? Which is weird, right? But anyways, it was just interesting. He, uh, he, uh, after about five minutes, he goes, I, I actually, I have to go now. Uh, but thank you. Let's pray for each other. I said, absolutely. But he walked by twice more. Uh, so wait, wait, when he was walking by after the conversation, was he was he crying? Did you break his spirit, or was he just hunting down someone else to attack? He avoided my eye contact when he was walking by again. So you won, basically. Yeah, kind of did. One point for the yes. Catholics. But, but this is and I, this is actually perfect with with JBL. This is where the disclaimer comes in. I went into the bathroom. I took the. There is for for those who don't know there is there is a, a protocol for urinal use. Right. Am yeah. I, so we're I... talking about toilets. So <laughs> if you don't think your young children can handle it's that, just like my other show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, I was gonna make a Vic in a cake joke, but never mind. Uh, mm -mm. Uh, mm. <laughs> the uh, so I take the furthest one to the left because that was the greatest distance between me and the other person. Yeah. Okay. There's about six urinals between me and this other person. A third guy comes in. Where would you, if you had to take a urinal, which one would you take? Question. Yes. Because this is where your <laughs> urinal choice, maybe, it's not, you're not just taking into account furthest point from the existing customer. Yeah. But where is the entrance, your distance to the entrance? Right. Because if you are furthest from the other guy, but closest to the entrance. Yeah. There's a real possibility some lazy dude is going to walk up and go right next to you because that's the closest thing to the entrance. That's exactly what happens. Yeah, well, that's why you never take the furthest like that. You got to go midway. But I'm like, dude, just just take one over. Just, no, just take one over. No, that's you can't really. You can't bank on that. People really? are garbage. See, I I, I I don't take the furthest way as long as, in my opinion, as long as you leave one spot open, right? Right. Then you're fine. And if all the odd spots are taken. You in that a, case, no, no, no. In that case, you are allowed to go next to somebody. Or you go take a stall. No, you don't. Or you wait. I'm not going to use a stall. This is a principal matter. We all, we're all dudes. I'm not going <laughs> to use a stall to go number one. It's just not what I'm going to do, right? At a certain part, you're like, it's just a busy bathroom, and you move on with Look, life. I don't want to get political here. Okay. <laughs> but I am prepared to give my vote for president to whoever promises to issue an executive order for the little steel dividers. Absolutely. Because if you got the little dividers... Then there's no problem. No problem. And everybody's protected from the overspray. Exactly. Yes. Because, I don't know, you guys are not science guys, right? But but No, no. We, we, we only care about faith. We don't care about reason. So if you, you know, if you look into fluid dynamics, right, you have what is called aerosolization. So liquids, when, when a liquid hits a solid surface, it doesn't just hit and then fall down, right? It aerosolizes. And it's little tiny particles just floating, floating, floating in microcurrents. That's why you need those like six inch steel barriers between you. I'm surprised and the you next even guy. use public washrooms at all. I try not to, obviously. <laughs> I'm not an animal. <laughs> yeah. But this is, I mean, we forget how good we have it because yeah. what it used to be was the trough. Yeah. And you guys are too young. 
I I came of age at the very end of the era of the trough. Yeah. So when I was like six, if you went into an older public school, like the boys' room would have a trough in it. Maybe the trough was exactly what it sounds like. It's just a long, oh, I, I've seen those long bin, yep. and everybody, everybody just gathers round. Yep. Gather round, fellas, gather round. <laughs> and you're like facing one another, and it's you know, don't cross the stream. Like, everything about it is horrifying and front to God and, and nature. I don't. So, so I, I feel they like they still have them at Wrigley. Okay, I was trying to think, did Three I Rivers think. Stadium have the troughs? Maybe our Pittsburgh listeners, because I, I vaguely remember, it would be a trough against the wall, so it wasn't that crazy. It wasn't like a, a circle, but vague memories of it. So, in Canada, every airport I've been into, at least, mm-hmm. we have the steel dividers. So, it's really not an issue. Well, but, Canada, but you've been saying Canada's, Canada's a, a very, country. A very yeah. private country. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, there are some good things that go along with that. Yeah. So, People don't talk to you in the airports, yeah. and you get dividers. Dividers that go all the way to the floor, yeah, are the true luxury. I've seen no; those are at Vancouver Airport. Yeah, it goes all the way to the floor, all like way up. You don't even see the other person's head. Oh, it's so great. There's no eye contact. There's no possibility for conversation. It's great. So, um, I'm just, oh, aren't isn't that the worst when you're at the urinal and some guys like a little chatty Kathy next? Oh like, my gosh, boy, how about them bills? Yeah, or, or, or I do? well, that was sure was a rocky flight, wasn't it? I'm like, I don't care, man. Just I'm just. Trying but at the very to least, the they never sneak up on you. Never because they come into the bathroom whistling as they come in, and you immediately know this is a bad person, and I'm gonna have a bad day now. So okay. that's when you definitely run for the stall. <sighs> I'm right. Okay, I'm okay with that. To hide from people who talk to you. Excuse me, this literally what, is like my other show. Yeah. <laughs> so, right. what are you wearing today, Jonathan? <laughs> I so I. Uh, <gasps> what is <gasps> that on your wrist? What is that? Whoa! I know. I know. I am wearing an Apple Watch Series Three by Nike for athletes watch, oh and uh, I'm only wearing it because I needed a travel watch, and I didn't want to bring a real watch with me because I was worried it might get banged around. I mean, I don't. Out here in Indiana, I don't know. Like, it's a rough crowd. Yes, I didn't know if I was going to have to ride in a tractor to get from the airport to <laughs> to the Notre Dame University, yes. and so I put on my stupid Apple Watch, which I kind of hate, actually. Yeah. Why? What are you wearing there, boys? Yeah. What are you wearing, Father? Anthony? I have. I'm, I, I have bare. I am bare wristed. But I'm thinking because I was listening to um, your secret show, and the idea of getting a watch for certain like occasions. I was thinking to myself, for me, it's either going to be when I first become a pastor. That's a big deal, obviously. Or if I make it five years as a priest, because the one thing they tell you over and over again in seminary is that most priests, if if you leave, you leave within the first five years. Yeah. So yeah. Day, day one in year five. How Sweet. many years in are you? Now? I'm I'm pretty I'm in my fourth year, so I've so been three years. I got I got six months to get out. If you're is what you're saying. Yes. Okay. Gotcha. So what are we going to get you then? Yes. I don't know. Your five-year... May, may I present to you the, the Seiko Baby Snowflake? You can. I don't know anything about it except that it's very nice looking. Um, here's the thing. My family had this... like Growing up, it seemed like every priest had a nice watch at my parish. Uh-huh. And they were like, we have to get you a priest watch. But it never happened. And the, the conversation died down. Um, but I, I do not even know what I would like. Well, what sort of things do you fancy? Do you fancy dive watches, dress watches, field watches? Chronographs. It would have to be a watch I wear every day, right? So it has to have some sort of durability because I'm a very clumsy fellow. Um, I do not do any diving or adventuring. I'm not adventuring. <laughs> Let me just stop. Right <laughs> uh, at, at the at the boutique, yes. they don't stop you on the way out and say, "No, hold on, you are going to use this for a hundred meter diving." Exactly. Right? Where's your scuba gear? <laughs> in, the, in the watch community, we refer to the uh, we refer to the marks that you get on the clasp of your di- as desk diving. Oh. Says, oh yeah, I got all. Got a whole bunch of desk diving dings on this thing. <laughs> I'm just yeah. fascinated. There's actually like, so one thing I enjoy is that when people are very interested in a thing. So I don't have to be interested in that thing to be interested, but people who like, because there's a whole world of watches. I didn't know that that existed. Oh yeah, baby. It's so as real as it gets. Yeah. <laughs> and it's glorious. It's so glorious. It's something I'm going to begin pondering. Okay, cool. Start thinking it over so I can yeah. start saving. Okay, sounds good. So he didn't have watches, but he did use sundials, I'm sure. Sure. And bells to tell the time. Yes. St. Thomas Aquinas and the Summa Tweetologica.
bad doing any kind of transition when JVL gets to hear I know. Vic's transitions I know. every week. It's it, it's an art form he has. He's, he's perfected Last an art week form. was so bad, though. That was bad. What was it? It did the story about... Um, the the Maggiano's story. <laughs> like 15-minute transition. <laughs> <laughs> What's that like, quickly? Because like, like he, he, he knows how he wants to direct it to get to the point of his... It's like watching any great artist work. <laughs> you know, like he's up there with the hammer and the chisel at the marble, and at first you don't know what's going on, and then you're like, oh, I see a hand. Wait a minute. That's the face of Jesus. He's making the pizza! <laughs> I just imagine color commentary for, for sculptors now, just as it goes It'd be on. Great, right? You can imagine the Ocho. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Cotton, what's he doing there? <laughs> That's a bold move, Cotton. Uh, All right. Where's my phone? This is I don't know. You have to. You're in charge of this. I, humor, I will be in charge of it today. You have to pick all the tweets, and we're just going to talk about them. But of course, we know we know Jonathan's off Twitter. Yeah, I'm just going to sit this segment out. Because I'm off Twitter, and it is glorious. You guys are missing the boat by being on Twitter. Are you off, though? So off. Our first tweet from at JVLast. No KFAB. KFAB? Want to try that again, buddy? KFAB. There we go. (laughs) And it's a picture. Explain. Beats me. That is the life model decoy of JVL (laughs) that's on Twitter. I'm not kidding when I tell you that there's probably half a dozen people that have I know that. logged in yes, credentials yes, yes, to yes, my yes. account. Wait, so you, so you sent the picture to someone and someone put it out there for you? I have a Shabbos Twitter. Okay, because this is an audio medium, yes. we'll explain this. The tweet yes. says no kayfabe, which is a wrestling term. Kayfabe <laughs> is kind of keeping everything, like, uh, basically <clears throat> acting like wrestling is real. You keep you keep kayfabe. Okay. So no kayfabe is like we're getting into the real stuff now. And it's an image of what, Father Harrison? Hoosier Hill Farm. Real butter powder, powder. So powdered butter. Please explain. Well, it started out kind of as a joke. Uh, <laughs> we were taping the sub beacon, and we were talking about how I had just discovered powdered peanut butter. Yes. And somebody, I think it was probably Vic, maybe it was Sunny, said. Why didn't you just get powdered butter? And I said, is that even a thing? And while they were talking, I typed up into Lord Bezos' website, Amazon.com. And uh, and it was a thing. And I just, you know, the spirit moved me. And yeah. I, I just said, bring this to me. And then two pounds of powdered butter arrived on my doorstep 24 hours later. And what was the experience like? It's actually great. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. I'm just a little bit worried, like, when you go from powdered peanut butter to powdered cheese to powdered butter, like, how big of a step is it to, like, straight-up cocaine? (laughs) Well, I mean, you're assuming that that's not what started it all. (laughs) Okay, that's fair, that's fair. I don't want to make any assumptions. No, I think my goal was to eventually subsist entirely upon dehydrated foodstuffs, like an astronaut. (laughs) Yeah. Cool. Okay. I did not know what I was like. What does kayfabe mean? So no, you didn't is... because you refused to watch wrestling. With this me. might change. So what, what, didn't we make a deal? Have we made a deal? We did make a deal. I'm trying Maybe to that's what we watched tonight. Maybe we have we to the Survivor series or something. Yes, yes. So because I really feel like Father Harrison, if with the proper coaching, with someone to hold your hand and bring you into this magical world of professional wrestling, I think you would really appreciate it. Who do you think his favorite wrestler would be? Like, let's pretend he okay. fell whole hog into this. <laughs> now, just remember. Who just, would Father Harrison's favorite wrestler be? Before we, 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 you guys discuss this idea, uh-huh. just remember, I, I did watch a lot of wrestling in high school. I even went to a live pay-per-view event in Vancouver where it was the Undertaker versus Mankind as the 
main event. I feel like you're fighting against what you know you're going to love. It's like you, you you know that you actually like this, but it would it would break the whole Ratzingerian, high intellectual, <laughs> noble Canadian mythos you've built around yourself. And that needs to be broken. It needs to be broken through a chair that may or may not be on fire at the time. It needs you need to be power bombed perhaps surrounded by barbed wire. Exactly. Something like that. Okay, um who was uh um, before he was the, uh, let's think. So the obvious answer, which I don't think we can think deeper about this, would be something like Brett the Hitman Hart, Canadian. You don't have a lot of Canadian pride, though, do you? Not really. I'm, I'm getting. I, I hate to say that I'm becoming more and more American every time I come down to the states. This mm. is not the time for that. I know this. I know this. I know this. <laughs> yeah. um, isn't Chris Jericho also Canadian? I he was going to say Chris Jericho would be a right at the tippity top of my list. That is good, and he's doing some of his best work now in AEW. It's amazing. Interesting. It's amazing. Hmm. What about what about the Nature Boy? Who do you think that he could fall for the charms of the nature? I think so because you know sometimes what you're most attracted to in wrestling is what your what like your daily life. You desire to live out this persona, but you can't. But at the very least, you can watch it happen on TV and live vicariously through that. <laughs> So the idea of Father Harrison really... Fo- deal. We yeah. had a deal. We had a Styling, profiling, <laughs> being a heel. Exactly. Absolutely. I'm trying to remember now. Yeah, we had a deal. We did have a deal this morning. I said, what if we watched... You're like, I don't know. I'm going to do something, and then you're going to watch wrestling. I forget what yeah. it is. We'll try and remember this. Okay, right, let's, let's get another tweet. Okay. Uh, at Jen Fulweiler. Got my hotel room set to the correct temperature, and she set it to 87 degrees. What is the mean room temperature? What is the ideal? I mean, 74 degrees is obviously the ideal room temperature. I would agree with you. I would agree Absolutely with you. Absolutely not. What? And it's like, especially in a hotel room, like 68. I'd Go be on. okay with 69, but there's too many jokes. You can't do that. That's <laughs> Are you going to keep like slabs of beef hanging on hooks? Yeah. With you? Yeah. How do you think, where do you think I hang my prosciutto? <laughs> like, of course this is what you do. Like even right now, we're recording your hotel room. I am dying. I'm sweating. I'm gross. Also, pop you are, you are, work. you're also Italian. I'm I mean, also like, you guys just naturally agree. You take some of the hair off of your head. Impossible. Because that is where. This is the, my glory. Most of the heat, right, comes it escapes from the head yeah. if it's allowed to be. Mm. Yes. Mm. Yeah, but like, what about what about like sleeping temperature? Do you keep it seventy four? Like when you go to bed? Obviously, I don't understand this. No, the perfect temperature is the temperature which allows you to have a sheet on top of you, but a sheet only, not requiring any other. And even again in the summer, mm-hmm. if you want the AC turned, so you can have just the the sheet, a nice eight hundred thread count sheet pulled over just top the of you. Just the sheet. See, no. Just the sheet. <laughs> just the sheet. <laughs> no. 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 <laughs> First of all, shame on you. <laughs> Second of all, like, how, like, I have so many nice sweaters I like to wear. You can't wear that in 74 degree weather. Like, com- like a, a, a fluffy comforter. You're, you're wearing this a is sweater. Luxury. You're we wearing have- a sweater around a hotel room. What's wrong with you? Are you a monster? Oh, I can't anymore because it's 74 degrees in here. It's no, ridiculous. The, the true luxury is setting the, when it's cold outside, opening the windows, but then cranking the heat up. <laughs> so that you get both the fresh air, like the on of a little bit of chill within the fresh air. This is I actually learned this from friends in, in Los Angeles because mm-hmm. out in LA what people like to do during the winter time is like drive around with their windows rolled down, but the heat on in the car. And I was like, This is genius. Why didn't I ever think of this? And you can do that right. to a certain degree hmm. with, with uh your hotel room we would do something similar to that in seminary but it's because we some guys didn't have refrigerators so they would open up the window in the winter but turn up the heat and if you put like a can of like uh or like a pabst yeah a bunch of pabst in the windowsill it would keep it cold and that would work yeah we would use when i was in seminary in edmonton which is a very cold place uh half the time if we just bought beer we just put outside for half an hour and it'd be ready to go colder than the mm-hmm. fridges it was awesome did I ever tell you I built a mini golf uh, course with uh, Paps Blue Ribbon cans? Yes. But here's my problem. The PBR Palace, if you will. Why would people drink that in the first place? Um, because we need to smell like the sheep, right? Ironically. We can't be um, these elitist, clericalist pigs. No, but we're get, salt that, of the earth people. But, but that gets away from our whole brand. But it's also, the thing with beautiful with Paps is that it's also an award-winning beer. 
It's, so right, it's the best of both worlds. It's a the, blue ribbon. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Have From you ever where? won a br- blue ribbon, Harrison? No. Yes, I have. Not once. Yes, in what? What is the Canadian like, version of Pabst? I want to. Um, probably lucky. Lucky? Yeah. Never heard lucky of it. Lucky pale ale. It's disgusting. And people from the prairies love it. Do and, they put hot sauce in it? And people love to make jokes around that, right? You know, you, know, you always get lucky on the island and stuff like uh, that. So. I see. Yes. Jokes for days. Yes. Yes. Are Canadians beer drinkers or do they drink, I don't know, Oh yeah, I think, something else? So here, Whiskey? Hold up. So here, here is the thing that people do not know, especially about BC. I mean, like, like the States, you, you can't just... It's not just one, you know, monotonous culture. There's, there's a lot of local cultures too, right? So for BC, BC is the craft brew capital of Canada. If you go across Canada, all of our microbreweries are being sold all over the place. Uh, people want BC beer. Mm. Um, and so we have like, I think we have like something like 150 microbreweries in BC now. And it, it is huge and it's bumping and it's delicious stuff too. Like I have one that's two blocks away from my parish and they just won a bunch of the BC Beer Awards, which is huge because that's like pretty much winning the best beer in Canada. See, I, when I imagine Canada, I think more of it's more of a whiskey place. Is that not true? You see, I don't know about whiskey culture because I'm not a big whiskey guy. That's a shame. I just... How did we ever become friends? Twitter? Probably Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, next tweet. Let's go, let's, go a little, let's go a little serious now. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, from Timothy P. O'Malley, who we met the other night, mm-hmm. uh, who's a teacher here at Notre Dame. He was live tweeting uh, the... Um, lecture on thursday night he and and this the art this is the ukrainian catholic archbishop or uh, what's the not it's not archbishop it's um uh patriarch no anyways metropole but yeah, quick right, right before this i had no idea so we were in the sacristy so we have this whole big conference yeah. and they have mass because it's a catholic conference and there's this huge beautiful sacristy in notre dame I'm excited. We had finished our panel. We did a good job. We're done for the week. I'm like, oh, I get to say mass, but not actually have to say it. I'm just celebrating. I get to sleep during mass, just like I used to do in seminary. I'm just really jazzed up for this whole experience. And I was looking at some relics and stuff they have in the sacristy. I come back and Father Harrison is talking to this bearded gentleman who's who's getting ready for mass. And he says, oh, this is um, so-and-so from Philadelphia. Yeah, and this is you know Anthony from Pittsburgh, and I, <laughs> and I said you know it's like oh even though you're from Philadelphia we can still be friends in Christ, and this Ukrainian <laughs> man just no sold it like did not laugh just stared me down and I was like oh that didn't work then I find out he's like a, a bishop Arch, as well what was it it was like our chapter I feel like you didn't, I feel like you didn't tell me who he was either or I wasn't listening I mean you didn't notice by all his accoutrements I did not no okay. you thought he was a mummer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so he was the keynote, on, and I'm forgetting his name right now, but anyways, he was the keynote on Thursday night, and he said this. He said, maybe if we lose the buildings and the endowments, maybe it's not everything. Maybe friendship is what we need. Obviously, this is a conference on friendship, but I thought it, I, what I liked about it was it's true. I think so often the church gets so caught up in its, um, in its worldly holdings sometimes that it's afraid that if we lose this, we're going not going to be able to do our mission anymore. Mm-hmm. But that's not true, right? As long what he's saying, as long as we have communion amongst each other, that that's what really matters. That's what endures. That's what passes on. You could lose this great campus. It'd be very sad. Mm-hmm. But you could lose it. It doesn't interfere with the mission, of, but that wouldn't interfere with the mission of the gospel. But just to take the other side, mm-hmm. if all you have left is friendship, that means you have to talk to people. Like all the time, there's no like buildings to hide away in. Yeah, so, so it's, I don't I I don't see the problem. I was trying to open up a way for <laughs> JBL to jump in. Uh, I mean, buildings greater sign people, right? Obviously, <laughs> I, no, I, some, there's the Benedict said something about this uh, early in his pontificate. He had a, a line; it's always stuck with me. Although I forget where he said it, he said that the traditional church can be very lovely, but this is not a thing that's necessary. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was looking at the days when, like, the relativists would finally triumph Uberalis and the, the church would be sort of forced backwards. And that is true on both sides of it, obviously, because Bennett was a very smart fellow. Um, but on the other hand, I would take the other side, you know, friendship. What, what do we need friendship for? Uh, you know, you need the Eucharist. 
You don't need the friendship. You need both, though. Fellowship. But you... It says it right in the Bible. Wherever one of you is gathered in my name, (laughs) I will be there with you. Isn't that what it says? I didn't know you were a theologian. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But but, it it specifically says one of you. Am I I missing that? Maybe maybe someone just you, I could just see JBL just there like kind of scratching it down the two to make it look like a one. <laughs> yeah, I mean if, if Thomas Jefferson can do it, why not JBL? Exactly. Right? Yeah. I feel like this. There's well, a time honored tradition of misinterpreting the Bible. This is the thing though. It's like Christianity. The whole idea is that we the the what we re, we become what we receive, which is the body of Christ, which is always a communion of persons. Right? Yeah. It doesn't mean we have to be friendly with. I think we're just trying to say with this idea of friendship is this idea of communion. Right. That, not that we're going to be friendly with everyone. Obviously, obviously not. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. But I mean, I think there's. But I, I think that I just like that idea that we just need not to fear the loss of institutions. Sometimes I worry because like because that's what's happening sometimes, right? Like we're 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 fighting so hard for these institutions that we actually miss the person. Sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Well, yes and no. I, okay. I, I am a big believer in the power of institutions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, there's a problem with institutions becoming corrupted and that over right. time, if they're not tended uh, and tended very intentionally and very carefully, they can actually wind up working against what they were originally. Right. Right? This is why yeah, like yeah. philanthropists will often sunset their foundations because they mm-hmm. don't want the, you know, what starts out as like a good Ford Foundation to turn into like 100 years later, the very bad Ford Foundation. Right. Um, but that said, like institutions matter and they are leverage points for everything else. And I think it would be very bad for the church to lose its remaining institution. I mean, yeah, yeah. part of the reason we are in the place we are in in the American church is because so many of our institutions have sort of decayed and withered away. We just don't have Catholic ghettos anymore to, right. you know, raise our kids in and stuff like that. Yeah. And that's that's bad. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, know, I think it would be regrettable. I don't look at right. it as like you know, oh, well, maybe everything will be more pure and everything will be fine. Like, nah, I would... well, I'm just saying, I guess, but the, an institution is not always a be all end all, right? No, no, but it's a point of leverage. Absolutely, which, no, no, which absolutely. Makes... I mean, I look at this campus and I see yeah. what's been happening here this week. I'm like, mm-hmm. this, this is a good work of it. All, of, I mean, all of the the natural grassroots friendship things that we've experienced are because of this institution that's facilitated it in absolutely. a good way. Yeah. So you have to. Yeah, yeah acknowledge that as well but a lot of times when we talk about some of the decaying um there i think there needs to be a lot of pruning right now though mm-hmm. in the church because a lot of them have decayed and sometimes i worry about those who have the power to prune are afraid to because that will be um a that will be a black mark on their legacy uh, you were the so-and-so in the hierarchy who let this school die or this institution die mm-hmm. or this church go into bankruptcy and like it's the death of a good catholic institution should never be celebrated but it shouldn't be avoided at all costs right and i see a lot of in some places avoiding this at all costs it's like well i think we've lost sight of the mission in that case yeah so. absolutely we could do another one but i think we, we've been talking a while we've for been, so we've we should, been should move on to have you ever been a member of pastoral council i showed up to literally one pastoral council for the the church we're in now yeah and I showed up because there was an item in the bulletin and they're like, we need people for pastoral council. And I thought that they actually needed bodies, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like that there was some charter somewhere that like, you know, hey, we need to have 13 people show up. Anyway, so right. I showed up and <clears throat> they all bickered amongst each other. And the pastor, who is himself kind of an idiot, bickered back and <laughs> forth with them. And I I just left. I, I thought there's there is nothing here that I am going to be able to mm-hmm. add value to right. and nothing here that is going to add value to my life. Right. You people all have clearly some unfinished business with one another. I'm just going to go and, you know, take part in the Eucharist. Good luck. Well, here, here's, the, here's, here's your second chance because we're about to go into pastoral council. Uh, and now it's time for pastoral council where the laity are empowered to say words. Oh, yippee! Good for you, lay people! You have opinions! It's like a whole segment. It's 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 the name of the segment. I know. Uh, So, uh, yeah, it's awesome. Um, I thought it'd be interesting to if you're open to it to talk a little bit like there's there's two things that were going through my mind when when we were, we wanted to have you on the show one is you know I've been reading your your book on demographics which I find I find very fascinating and I can see why you you're not a dog person 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Oh, I know. I was like, yeah. Um, and the other bit is just like being a cat. What's this book on demographics called? I, I have uh, what to expect when no one's expecting. That's it. Yeah. There you go. Um, now out in paperback. <laughs> um, so I thought we could talk about that a little bit because I think that has that has effects on the church as well. Um, obviously. Um, but then to talk just a little bit about what does it mean to be a Catholic in the world of journalism, if you're open. Uh, so if you want to talk about demographics, you yeah. need to narrow it down a little bit. you got to ask me okay. a specific question. If you're going to put a quarter in the machine, yes. kind of because otherwise <laughs> the, the field is just too wide. Okay. Uh, Catholic in the world of journalism, it's... Uh, I don't know. I mean, the whole world of journalism is... is dead and mm-hmm. dying so being a catholic is, is kind of great like you know you're used to being in a minority anyway you're a creative minority and so you, you know okay. you're used to everything going wrong all the time and so that's <clears throat> it's fine i do find it funny that people used to my old magazine the weekly standard it was widely thought of by its detractors as being a jewish cabal hmm. with you know the, the the jews who are the neocons who are making a, and at one point like we sort of looked up and realized we have one and a half practicing Jews on staff here, and like seventy-five percent of everybody else at the magazine is Catholic. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot wow. of talk. That's interesting in okay. church land about, you know, um, the Bishop Barron likes to talk about the rise of nuns, for example. Who? Um, <laughs> who's that? Who, who likes to talk B- about it? Bishop Barron? You, you, you know, a bishop from from LA. Does he does he do parish missions? <laughs> JL doesn't get the joke. I don't care. That was for me. Okay. Tell me more. <laughs> Tell so, okay. me more. <laughs> so as we were getting ready for the conference, uh, I was talking with a great uh, Father Dan, last name redacted, and he was talking about one of his favorite things to do now is when someone brings up a name, a famous name, is just to go straight-faced. Who? Just to bring everybody down a notch. And we were just joking about this. And so we do our whole panel and everything and um this nice italian priest he stands up and says something something you know bishop baron he's acting like he's about to explain who bishop baron is but everyone knows and i just dead face go into the microphone who it was the happiest moment in my life it was like god gave me this joke it just descended down from heaven i got to say it so it's my new favorite thing just to be like okay who, who, who? so there's rise of nuns um and <laughs> there is I guess for me, it's what is the future of the church going to start looking like as um, as demogra- like you have boomer generations are going to start coming towards death, right? Am I, am I wrong at this? I mean, obviously, <laughs> we're all we're all towards death, <laughs> <laughs> but um, and replacement rates aren't there. Yes, right. I was reading Douthat's article on this too, though he was saying how. Um, in a way, practice is not really decreased in America. Um, it's still about a one-third levels. Um, but that's being propped up by immigration yes. a lot, right? So I guess I just, I find it interesting because I think it, if it, if we want the church to have a future, which we, we should, I think, uh, we need to kind of understand what the future is going to look like demographically and and... I don't know if to, like, I I'm probably not wording this right, but I'm just kind of wondering if this is an area that you can speak to a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah I can. So, yeah. you know, when you think about uh, when you when you think about how the demographics and faith sort of work together, mm-hmm. it's actually a much simpler equation than you would imagine, mm-hmm. right? So you look at uh, the fertility rate of people who go to go to church services once mm-hmm. a week or so. Uh, it's actually pretty high. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're close to like 2.6, 2.8 Interesting. Uh, kids per woman on average. And you then look at the attrition rate, right, and the pass-on rate. So, uh, you know, they pass on. Actually, it turns out you can do two things as a parent sort of statistically significant in a statistically significant manner, one of which is pass on your religion. Hmm. So if you are a Catholic, you have a very good chance of being able to make your kids Catholic too. Uh, and then you look at the attrition rate in general for Catholics as they grow up. And so when you sort of balance those two equations, that tells you, so what is your population of, of Catholics going to look like over time? Uh, the big question in American demographics right now is fertility patterns among Hispanic women. Hmm. So we have 
had over the last 20 years a huge influx of Hispanic immigrants uh, on the order of magnitude of, uh, I forget the actual number, but there, there's some there's some haziness here because you have both legal and illegal immigration. Right. And the illegal population is harder to survey than people think. We think it's like 11 or 12 million people, but we're not exactly 100% lock, stock, short. And all of which is to say, the interesting thing is that these people came here with reasonably high fertility rates. So they were having many more kids than native-born Americans. Mm -hmm. And their fertility rates have collapsed over mm -hmm. the last like 15 or 20 years. And nobody predicted that. And we don't know whether or not that collapse is them just regressing to the mean real quick because they're assimilating to American culture. We don't know if it'll continue collapsing. You know, mm -hmm. will they stabilize? Will they mm -hmm. rebound? Uh, and so all of the future of what the church looks like in America 20 years from now is to a large part dependent upon the patterns of fertility for recent Hispanic immigrants, like mm -hmm. last generation of Hispanic immigrants mm -hmm. in America. And the answer is that nobody knows what that's going to look like. Okay. So is, you know, we could we could definitely point to some obvious um, moral issues that would um, allow this to happen, like, you know, abortion, contraception and stuff like this. But is there something deeper about American culture that um, that's besides those moral issues that just influences people to want to be like that? To, yeah, to, reduce, uh, to, uh, to not, not have, have kids. kids. Yeah. yeah, I mean, everything in American culture is pushing people not to have kids, right? Mm -hmm. It's, uh, I mean, the economics of it mm -hmm. are, you know, it's a really expensive place to live. Mm -hmm. uh, the whole free market system regards childbearing as, at best, an economically neutral activity and, right. at worst, an economically negative activity. Right. Uh, you know, the total cost for having a kid in America is like $1.1 million once you, forgo, once you add in, like, foregone wages and stuff right. like that. Uh, it's a uh, it's tough. Not a very natalist society, uh, and that's fine, I guess. Um, there's not it, when I say it's fine, I guess I mean it's not fine, right. except that there is a lot of evidence to suggest that you can't change this through policy. Right. There are no policy buttons that lots and lots of countries have tried, and you might be able to nibble around the edges of these statistics, but. Mm -hmm. But even that requires a lot of spending. Because the the cultural forces are so strong that you can't just... Because yeah. it's, not, it's not just about abortion contraception. Yeah. Have you, right? I mean, have you finished the book? Because I don't want no, to spoil the end for you. No, I have not. Yet. No, I'll spoil okay. the end okay, anyway. Because people <laughs> listening to this aren't going to read it. Um, but my, my general view of this is that there are, you know, 150 different factors going into fertility decisions for people at the individual level. And everybody's decisions are unique to them. Right. But on the whole, there is this view of uh, the secular view views the self as the sort of beginning and end mm -hmm. of everything. And I don't mean this in a, in a selfish way, right. but there's, there's no duty to the democracy of the dead behind you right. and the extent that there's a duty to the people out in front of you in the future. It's only like the people right around you. Right. Uh, people of faith tend to view their experience in this world differently. Right. Uh, as though they have both duties and responsibilities going forward and backward temporally. Right. And that is what it requires to have kids because, you know, spoiler, <laughs> it's not a ball of laughs. Right. Right. It's not a ton of fun. Yeah. It is a fiscally irresponsible thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> You'd be much better off putting all of that money into a, you know, index to, fund. You'd be able to sleep at night. You'd be able to sleep at night right now. So, yeah. yeah. So it's it's something you do because you have a different view of the world itself. Right. Now, there's one thing like, so Father Harrison, there's 14 people on your island. And when they <laughs> pass away, there's just going to be no more people. Right. But like, uh, this is something that my area is struggling with. So uh, Lawrence County, Pennsylvania, kind of old mill town used to be a uh, place of industry, next happening sort of place. Now it's not because of changes in that. And we are taking seven parishes. We're making them one parish. We're deciding what we're going to do next. And there's basically two options. Just cut down the number of churches to maybe like three, which would be horrible because in that there's winners and losers. And the, the bloodbath that would ensue in choosing the parishes 
would cause wounds that would last for a generation because there's a lot of Italians up there, and we you know, we don't forget I hear these Italians things. forget this stuff. Like, <laughs> yeah, like right. Water off their duck, <laughs> duck's back, right? Right, exactly. So, so you could do, that's option A, and that'd be to be honest, even though it'd be a difficult thing for the community, it's the easiest thing to do as a pastor. Just we're closing these churches, and this is what we're doing. Um, but we do have this idea of what about building a new church? That way, all the people could be invested. Like this is all of ours. We've all sacrificed. We're all building something new. It could fit the needs of our community perfectly. The difficult thing is deciding what the needs of our community are going to be in 30 years. And something I hear a lot about, like with, oh, we almost feel like the demographic change is that we're doomed to follow the demographics. And something strikes me, something about that strikes me as inherently anti the church's mission. I think we've gotten caught up in it's just good enough to pass on the faith to your children. I think the church has been comfortable doing that for a while. Mm-hmm. And when you've got an influx of immigrants and people who are investing in the church and a culture that more or less supports it or at least isn't anti that, that's that's one thing. But now when you have a church that's incre- a culture that's hostile to that, um, you can't. Oh, sorry, so I'm getting lost in the weeds. There's enough people in my town to fill all the churches. They're just not mm-hmm. Catholic yet. And what do we do about that? Mm-hmm. And there needs to be a new push towards actually. So the, I guess what I'm saying is the cross of the falling demographics in different areas of the American mm-hmm. church, that should impel us to then evangelize. We don't have to be doomed to follow the demographics, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. What if you put some video screens uh-huh. in your church? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep going. Would that help people to come in and really connect with the liturgy? It depends. I, I, I got a great idea to add to that. Yeah. A yeah. uh, uh, smoke machine. Ooh, laser show? Think of it. It's scentless. Right. And so you get you get the feel of incense without the scent of incense. Here okay. comes okay. the Lamb of God. Sunday, Sunday. Except you make it like a walk in, like your procession's like a walk in for a WWE event, right? <laughs> <laughs> the organ starts going with the mic. Well, like the Undertaker, right? <laughs> right, 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 right? We just we just break some glass <laughs> first. <and stop. laughs> no, you got to really meet the people where they are. And bring you know, I. So this is. Uh, how do you guys reconcile the tension between the need to meet people where they are mm-hmm. and the need to to literally, in the, the good sense of the word, to condescend, which is to say, to reach down and lift them up right. to I, where the church is? I, I think you need Because have, these things are intention, right? Absolutely. And I think, you see, I, my beef is people always say you have to meet them where they are, but that's where they stop. They don't. You need both. If you're Because if, if you're just condescending, then you're... It, it, like philosophically speaking, it's you have to take kind of the objective and the subjective seriously, and you have to have a healthy balance. The objective always has its its more importance element, but but you have to say, okay, how's this person going to receive this? So how can I help them to do the best to receive it? Right? I, I think, um, and that it's not an easy balance to try, but it's this. But this where I get frustrated though too is people often use the we got to meet them where they're at as an excuse for liturgical experimentation for video screens at mass etc guitars tambourines <laughs> if the music would just be more modern then more people would come to mass do you this, ever hear that all the time yes <laughs> all the time and i'm like from the old people uh, but i keep on saying right? them no you've been doing it for 20 years and what's been happening the numbers keep on going down right and it has to actually to be honest i actually find music in a way is not the deal breaker people think it is explain Music in my parish is okay. I'm trying to, yeah. Anyways, um, but we've had we've seen a, a slight increase since I've been there in the population and in families. Um, been working hard at that, and um, but it's we're not we're not doing what I would probably like to do at the moment, and it's partially just because of skill set in my parish. We, we yeah, I also have to work with what you have, right? Um, but at the same time, it's um, you, you know, play the moose horn. There exactly. Canada. I don't know yeah, what moose horn is. You know exactly what a moose horn sounds I like. The, I don't know. Okay, but yeah, so here's the thing. Yeah. Here's the thing. Here's the deep dark secret about parish leadership. Yes, we have no idea what we're doing. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's not even that. It's not even that. Because um, no one, no one knows what they're doing. That's fine. It's not. It's good to be able to judge people's characters well, right? To put the right people in the right spots, to hire well. It's good to have an understanding of, of business and of people. And all, all those things are very important. But the thing is that 
in order to lead people where they don't want to go, and that's, I think, the heart of leadership is like, we have mm-hmm. to go this place, right? You actually have to be holy, mm-hmm. not self-indulgently pious, mm-hmm. not having the errors of that, mm-hmm. but actually believe that Christ has a mission for your church, right? Yeah. And that you're working for him. Yeah. And the reason why a lot of people uh, are do this thing with... Um, you have to meet people where they're at. It's not because they have their own. Some of them is because they have their own agenda. They want yeah. to, you know, form the church in their own image. But more often, it's just simple cowardice. It's hard when you are a celibate person to have, you know, the people that you're supposed to give your life to hate you, mm-hmm. right? As a parent, it's hard when your kid says, I hate you, right? It's, it kills you. Mm-hmm. It kills you. And you know they have no idea what they're talking about at the time, but it still hurts. It kills you if it's the favorite kid. Right, if exactly. It's the one they don't like. Then yes. Like, yeah, I don't care for Joe. <laughs> yeah. So I think there has to be, um, and I also genuinely believe, because sometimes we, we have this interplay of like, oh, he's a holy guy, but not a capable guy. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes that can happen, but I also think that Christ actually gives you wisdom, mm-hmm. or at the very least, the wisdom to know what you're not good at. Right. Right. Really, if you're a Christian, a lot of prayer is also self-reflection. So you should know who you are. And so not to say that every bad leader isn't holy, but I'm also saying maybe every bad leader isn't holy. I don't know. Right. Uh, can, I, can I ask a question? And Nick can just delete this if you guys don't want to talk about it. When you guys look out at the Protestant churches that mushroom up and attract huge followings, do you find that explicable in any way? Because I don't. I don't understand it. Like, I yeah. see it and I look at it. Yeah. And to me, it's like seeing a world where the laws of physics don't apply. Right. And, you know, like, explain why gravity doesn't work over here. So I just yeah. don't. I don't get it. Well, first, we don't see, like, massive. No- like, my in my town, I am the biggest church. Uh, because uh, Protestantism is... Like, like evangelical Protestantism is not as big in Canada as it is in the United States. Um, so, but that being said, like as an outside observer into American Christianity, um, the thing I notice a lot about it, I think for a lot of people, it, it's, it, it does this whole meeting where people are at, but it never takes them further than that. Like, it's very interesting from what I've heard about some of the statistics. It's you get high turnover after about two years they don't stay a lot of them do not stay for 20 30 40 50 years which is they'll either want something deeper and so they're going to which means often they start to go more and more liturgical or they're just done and i think there is a um there is there is a reason why evangelicalism i think has such a strong presence in america because and i say this with all charity if there we have any evangelical listeners but I really believe evangelicalism is really just Americanism with a veneer of Christianity. Um, maybe reverse that. No, I I, I I hold that because and I'll tell you why. Because they, like, if you look at the mega churches, what are what are attracting people? Like it's either prosperity gospel, you do this thing and God's going to bless you with money. That's huge for American culture, or it's pragmatic. Uh, which is also a very big American principle, like American pragmatism. Um, the ten, 10 steps to a happier marriage. That's what our sermon's going to be on today. There's no, it's really just about making, ensuring you have a better, comfortable, happy life here and now, rather than helping you think about eternal things and deepening. And uh, because, uh, and this partially an issue in Protestantism in general, there's no theology of transformation. So I don't know. Um, I think in a lot of cases, it's actually more genuine than that. Okay. So, um, so a lot of mega churches, especially when I grew up in, in wealthy mm-hmm. suburbia, right? Yeah. You, it, Cause you got the people, you can make the money, even like the Catholic church is a big Catholic church and we can hire the people we need to hire. Cause so all that works. Uh, so let's say, so these things pop up, but a lot of the people who are joining these churches, like imagine if you had mm-hmm. either barely heard about Jesus, right? or had never heard about him, mm-hmm. right? And you do feel, because you're a human being, a desire for something spiritual, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and the Catholic Church is, it seems from the popular culture that it's its not welcoming. That's right. the vibe you might get from movies and stuff. Right. And you know, if I want to register for this register for this parish, I have to do paperwork, I have to take classes, I have to like, well, that seems like not very Christian, right? right. Because Christianity should be welcoming. 
this place takes no demands on you. Yeah. You can just go. Yeah. So that's, I think, why some people do that. Oh, I'm not, yeah, another, I'm not, I'm not I'm denying not, that. I, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But there's another thing that also happens is that some people, believe it or not, actually have a desire for community. Right. And that is not, it's becoming more and more a part of our culture, but it's still a little tough in the Catholic Church. So there's a genuine desire to be around nice people. Right. So that's part of the reason as well. Uh, so I don't think, I don't want to be like super cynical with why these things sort of pop up. I think people are genuinely searching right. for for the holy. Yeah. Um, so I think that's a big part of it as well. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't, and I wouldn't deny any of that mm-hmm. either. I'm just, I'm just talking it more from like a, a, a large view. Like what is the essence of the thing? Right. That's, that's kind of like, and I think because of, when you're formed in a culture, um, when you, like when you're in America, that that's going to, those things like wait oh yeah do you know what i want i want to maybe look for something spiritual but in a language i i kind of work with every day and i think in a way like this is where the the catholic church still struggles to learn how to do it and it's hard because i think in a way as catholics we look out on that and we say yeah but that language doesn't really work in the end and there's i you think know, what it comes down to is is the terrifying thing about genuine christianity is that you can no longer be in control. Right. Once you really accept this whole incarnation thing, mm-hmm. you are not in control of your life anymore. You mean God is in control? God is in control. So do you have a you know inherent desire for the spiritual, but also inherent desire to be in control because yeah. of the fall? And if you can get both of that in a church, I mm-hmm. see why that's attractive. Absolutely. Now, ultimately, that is going to wear out yes. because it's not going to feed you. Yeah. Right? It might feed you for a while. It might feed you for a few years, especially in a lot of places where these mega churches uh, yeah. pop up. Um, in some places, they're in towns where... Um, there is a, a cycling population, mm-hmm. people moving. Places. So uh, it doesn't surprise me. Um, and also, like a lot of times, the competition isn't great. Right. Like if you've got a pastor who's a jerk, and you've or you've got parishioners who are crazy, or a lot of times a combination of both. Uh, when you when you present Catholicism poorly, it's going to come across really poor. Yeah. So sometimes they're just. Yeah, you know what though? I don't buy that. Okay. Because anybody who, I, I, the number of times in my life that I have been in a congregation where there were people I liked and. Had pastors I like is is like I don't know like five percent ten percent of my life. Um, you're literally there for the Eucharist. Like if if you don't understand that the whole point of Catholicism is the the, the living body and blood of Christ, then like I don't even understand why you're Catholic. And I am not like a super well formed Catholic, right? <laughs> I mean I think this is like the most baseline understanding of the faith, mm-hmm. right? But there's something that you that you're a bit of an enigma in the sense that you care about truth. And that's not a high cultural priority right now. It's like the only Catholic priority. Yeah. So this that's is what I'm saying. I think I am a very Mendoza-line Catholic, right? Sure, sure. I mean, I am Mendoza! Right. Not, Sorry, Simpsons quote. Um, but no, but so, but that's Different the Mendoza. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> it's I know. a baseball I just, thing. I know, I was just, okay. Simpsons popped in my head. Um, the, but that's an interesting thing, because I think, I think you're right that this is like, so then how does the church communicate that? to a larger population but anybody who's already in the door right should understand it otherwise they wouldn't be in the door in the first no, this I, is what i don't fully understand like if people don't know why they're in the doors of exactly Catholic churches but they're, they're, they also often don't know why they're in the doors of protestant churches either right like, like a lot of people don't know why they're where they are right so um yeah so uh this it, gets into some of the generational thing too there's still a lot of catholics who just show up to mass because that's what they kind of do, or there's a vague sense of guilt. Uh, I, I, I've been doing this thing where almost every homily I talk about how the Eucharist is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. That's the line I use all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of people literally have never heard that. They're just there. I find that inconceivable. That's the craziest. Right, right. but it's absolutely true. Right. So is all of this then the legacy of Asa? I mean, has it always been thus? Or is this really what the last 40 years in American Catholicism have been about and that the boomers really did just wreck everything? No. I, I well, a maybe. A bit. There's a bit. But, but, okay, but, boomer. But, a bit. <laughs> I, mean, I think uh, from the research I've been doing, it actually goes back further. Okay. Um, you're looking, the, uh, Ratzinger wrote an article in 1952 about the new paganism in Christianity, about how many people show up but actually know nothing about their faith, don't know or care about the Eucharist. This is 1952. It's like, 15 years before the or 10 years before the council started um in the 40s there were books and articles being published about about a, a lack of basic understanding of christian belief in catholic churches in europe so, um so 
and from what I understand, this actually goes back even further into the late ni- uh, the late nineteenth century. Um, I mean, I'm still researching this more, but this is like I'm starting to find the line. So when we, this is why I actually am hesitant to blaming boomers because, as a generational blame thing because they are just going off what they received, which wasn't very much from their parents' generation. So it's like it, the trickle down is it, it 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 gets filtered through, so they're getting even less, and so. And then they have their kids and they have nothing to give them. Um, but it's because their grandparents didn't really give them a whole lot. Like, it's very interesting. Like, I have a two-sided thing with this because I understand. I, I agree that a lot of people should kind of just show up. But I think there's something to that, too. Like, you wouldn't show up for 60 years straight if you didn't at least have a semblance of an understanding of who Jesus is for you. I, I mean, maybe... If they do, I just find that absolutely insane. Why would you do this, right? It, it's just, but they don't have the language to explain it as we often would today. They say, no, I go to church because I love God and it's important to worship him. That's not how we would normally say that today per se, but I think that's actually not a horrible thing either. And, uh, but the problem becomes that if that's what you're handing on to your kids and then they grow up in the 60s and 70s during the sexual revolution and everything, you're told... Um, you're like, well, why do I like? They start to question belief, and then their parents have no answer for them, and everything goes crazy. So I, I, I think it goes far deeper, and I, it's weird. That's why I think, like, I would say millennials and Gen Xers in general are are the first generation of Catholics who are more intentional about things. Uh, you have to be kind of, anyways, um, and who are trying to help rehabilitate a sense. Uh, of knowledge about faith about just the basics the thing is though this is an ebb and flow of history too right right? yeah yeah you have the you know um monks go out and evangelize uh you know the uk and then Mm -hmm. europe loses the faith and the monks come down from ireland and re-evangelize europe like this is i was i was was have you guys read canticle for Leibowitz? i have not yet ever i have it i haven't read it yet someone has been so, but I, I remember um, one of our priest friends made me read it, and it's. I just assumed all priest nerds at some point <laughs> read it because it is. It's like a apocalyptic sci-fi book for priests. Yeah, basically. Yeah. No, I have a friend. Yeah, he's so yeah, into it. Yeah, yeah. So tempted. Uh, I remember, like, but it shows you why this is hard, and it's like we think. I know. Uh, we think there's just like a set formula to make everything work. I was talking to some. I was talking to someone about, how, or no, I was reading an article by Cardinal George. He was talking about um, a priest friend of his who, when he was an oblate who went out to this missionary territory, like total, literally pagan area. And he converted all of them and they went to mass every Sunday. But it, this, the struggle between culture and, and, and gospel was very strong. And about 12 years of his, after about 12 years of his time there, they literally all killed him. But why? Because they saw him as having spiritual power. And so they wanted that spiritual power for themselves. And in their culture, this idea is if you kill someone, you kind of get their power. So like, this is the, which I know it's- Like yeah. the Highlander? Like is this kind of <laughs> doom? Yeah, but I, I know it's, it sounds weird to us, but I mean that, but it shows you that the, how hard it is to break through culture with the gospel is, it's, it's, a, it's, it's tough. And, um, and I think this, there's always gonna be those ebbs and flows of time and it's not going to be quick and it's and it takes generations for things to truly seep in that's why I, I i almost fear in some countries where the gospel is still relatively new in the last couple hundred years what we've been going through in north america these last 20 years we're going to hear in those continents in 20 or 30 years because of the hardness of time like because when the church is new and it's vibrant and it's growing priesthood becomes a place of power and that's dangerous right. and scary right so it's in the end, I think I think what Father Anthony said earlier is right. It's there's only one method, and it's we have to try at a basic way to become saints, because that is what works. And we have to try and encourage our parishioners to become saints. And holiness itself does a great job of evangelizing. JBL, yes. Any last thoughts for the people? last thoughts i know i'm sorry <laughs> oh i did not do that on purpose and i apologize immediately yeah. i'm sorry it's like you've never heard that before mm-hmm. right no, no. no. Yeah. Uh, i don't know what, what's the, you know don't sin yeah that's good you like heard that. you heard it here on clerically speaking don't sin. <laughs> there you go thank you so much for being on the show 
this Thank was fun. You guys. Yes. This is a delight. So um, keep rating and reviewing us. There we have three one-star reviews. What? We have three one-star reviews on iTunes. Now those cowards didn't actually leave a a review. They just clicked on the one star. So to make up for it, you guys who haven't left us a review, you have to give us that five-star stuff. Okay. Absolutely. That's all we ask. That's all we. That's all I we like do. to think that those are just fat thumb, fat thumbed. A mistake. Who mistakenly? No, that that literally has Nobody happened. Nobody could give no. you knowingly and intentionally a one star review. I was very confused. I was reading one review that was very positive that left us one star, and but anyway, maybe they think like number one is best. Number one is best, right? We got number one. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, so thanks for listening to the podcast. Please tell your friends about it and tell your enemies as well, because Jesus says we must love our enemies. I am Father Sharapa and Father Sharapa on Twitter. And, and <laughs> Harrison. Would, you, would you like to learn how to speak? No, I'm done speaking forever. And you can find me at Fr Harrison on Twitter, and you can find us at ClericalPod on Twitter and on Facebook and all that stuff. And you can find JBL at the Subbeacon Podcast. Peace. Yeah. God bless. There we go.